Surprise Music Box Wednesday, pulling out of the box a song for spring. A song that jumps to joy, I think. And ABBA fits that brief perfectly. Just how do they write hit after hit after hit after hit? Who knows? But here we are. Um, but actually, I'm just reading here. Um, it's about a divorce. So, uh, Bjorn of ABBA said, I think I wrote Knowing Me, Knowing You before my divorce. Uh, we just have to face it. This time we're through. So mm, sad sentiment, but gosh, good song though. Um, amazing responses uh, regarding both school reunions and uh, trades, uh, of which we talk about in ten minutes' time. While well, Swede just had forty years since girls, forty years since girls joined Seven St Kevin's College in Oamaru, it was marvellous. And the highlight was hearing from one of the teachers aged 23 then, now a principal. Hearing her experience of joining an all-male school as a young woman, what was most special was the connection and how inclusive everyone was. And it was wonderful, says Annie. So, yep, a big thumbs up to school reunions. And, oh, amazing responses regarding trades. I have just finished a four-year apprenticeship as a refrigeration and air conditioning technician. My job is interesting. I have a company ute and phone, free health insurance, and I get paid a starting rate of 40 bucks an hour. And guess what? No student debt. 24 to 5, the panel. Well, it's a weird thing, this, but this question has gone global. You might know what I'm talking about. Or you might not, but here it is. Everyone from TikTok to the New York Times is discussing this. Why are so many men thinking about the Roman Empire? Do you often think about the Roman Empire? Caligula, Brutus, Nero, Augustus, the responses to the original TikTok question were apparently overwhelming. Here's one. My partner thinks about the Roman Empire constantly. Another one replies... At least four times a day. With us is Dr. Alex McCauley from the University of Auckland, a PhD in ancient history, a fellow of the Royal Historical Society and a council uh, of the Classical Association. So if Alex doesn't know, no one will. Dr. McCauley, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Wonderful to to speak with you and hello to (laughs) Anna and Scott as well. So out of the blue, Alex, my wife says, can I ask you a question, Wallace? I said anything. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? (laughs) And I go, well, Tab, I find it fascinating, but maybe once a year. When you first saw this, what did you make of it? Because it's the oddest thing. It really is. And it's the sort of thing I think that's really, really taken us aback. You know, I I asked my students what they thought about this this (laughs) afternoon, and they didn't really know where it came from either. Um, So it really has taken the TikTok world by storm and gave me a great excuse to sit and do about an hour of research uh, on TikTok this (laughs) afternoon for this. Uh, What's amazing to me is it it seems to have started in in the English speaking world, but since then it's gone into the Spanish, Italian, German speaking world as well. And it does seem to me, I think, to bring to the fore this idea that that when we really scratch beneath the surface, the classical world is pretty much everywhere. and I think people really do relate to it for a whole variety of reasons. Could be the more lewd, grotesque parts of Roman history that you mentioned with Caligula and Augustus and Tiberius, or the idea of empire, or going back to that yeah. famous Monty Python scene from the life of Brian, what have the Romans ever done for us? <laughs> I, I will say, and I'll bring Scott in very shortly, I, I want to know his and his uh, a take on this, but I will say this, Alex, I hardly think about it. But when I do see an article about 
classic, you know, classical civilizations or Roman antiquities or what have you, I will click on it and I will open it and I will read it. Again, it has this, it has this enduring appeal. It's, yeah. it's the Roman side of things, absolutely the Greek side of things too. And, and increasingly, we're trying to show that the classical world is an awful lot more than just Athens and Rome. and goes all the way sure. through the ancient Near East to modern-day Afghanistan. So there's quite a lot out there. Oh, that's interesting. And there is always something fascinating to try and find there. There's a new way to redefine our relationship with the past, I think. Yeah, here's one. Uh, my dad is obsessed with the Roman Empire. Okay, what about you, Scott? How often do you think about it? Twice a day, yeah, what, once what, a week? What, what's, what's weird about it? Um, <laughs> I, I would probably at least once a week, maybe twice a week. Um, I think ancient Rome and, and ancient Greece, you know, Achilles, Hercules, gladiatorial lifestyle. Come on, surely, Wallace. It's fascinating. Don't you? I, I do. You know, and, and also, I, I would actually probably a couple of times a week, absolutely. Um, this is amazing. And I think it. I don't get dressed up and that sort of thing, but um, you know, like you, if I see something that has um, anything to do with ancient uh, Rome and, and and Greek and mythology and those sorts of things, I'm fascinated by it. And yes, I would be probably a couple of times a week. Amazing, Alex. Well, you know, I think I think this is it, it is an incredible thing. And, and and whenever I give outreach talks, whenever I give lectures, whenever you, you speak to the general public, everyone is, is fairly often thinking about these things. And on the one hand, it is the direct Greek and Roman stuff, like you said, gladiators, the Roman army, the idea of columns, architecture, whatever it might be. And then, of course, it's all the other stuff as well that really, really lies underneath the fabric of, of much society. So mythological traditions, stories, the Oedipus cycle, poetry, drama, ideas of government, philosophy, whatever it might be. Um, right. And there. there there are an awful lot of, of fans of antiquity out there, and there are even more people who, who completely and totally pursue this out of their own interest without necessarily talking to us directly about it. So I think it, it really has just brought to the fore what's already been there. And as some of my colleagues here in the department will will, will clearly testify, it's certainly not just men either. Um, an awful lot of women think about the Roman Empire, and I'm sure about the ancient Greek world fairly frequently. So it does, I think, cut across society in a whole bunch of different age groups and ethnicities as well. I feel an RNZ podcast coming on about about uh, Roman antiquities or maybe a Herald or Stuff uh, daily column about... (laughs) (laughs) What have the Romans ever done for us? We'll start with part one of 962. Well, I think, you know, the the really fascinating thing here, Wallace, is that so much of this is always reinterpreted in the present. So our relationship with the ancient world changes pretty much every generation, from before World War I to the Cold War era, the 1990s, and then now in the 21st century. So we're always reorienting ourselves, almost looking at ourselves in the mirror a little bit differently by thinking about ancient Roman Greece every day. Anna Dean. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating, and I'm I'm glad you brought up that question about um, do women do women think of it in the same way? Because I had been watching those videos on TikTok, and it, what surprised me was just kind of how slightly defensive the men seemed, or that they'd been exposed in some kind of way which they weren't expecting, which I thought was quite interesting. And the other thing about it, I mean, it's basically the the birth place of the of Western culture. And I wondered, um, you know, if if we were to, to ask that question in places like China, what would be the equivalent um, response and or, and or would they be thinking about it in that way? Um, the other thing I was questioning was that there's been a lot of talk online around the end of empire and and lots of people know that the Roman Empire was, you know, 250 years old and there's a lot of discussion around the American Empire kind of reaching its 240-year mark. And I just wondered if you thought that that had anything to do with, I don't know, why people are thinking about empire or end of empire or that kind of thing. 
Absolutely. I think it does. And, and as I said earlier, you know, the really fascinating thing with ancient history is we think it's just some, some kind of static thing that we relate to and, and uncover more about. But, but our understanding of the past always changes in light of the present. So I think now that we're in the 21st century environment, things are a little bit more unstable. We've seen some elements of, of the global rules-based order erode away. I think people are focusing on different periods in ancient history. And we've seen a big yeah. shift in the number of films and TV shows that suddenly are set not at the kind of height of the golden age of Rome, like like Audius, but rather at the edges of empire or the end of the world, things like Centurion, the Eagle. Right. So I think that people do look into the ancient world and, and they see almost a, a cracked reflection of themselves. Um, sometimes they like what they see, sometimes they don't. Um, and I think increasingly, the other thing that we, we see a lot of our students talking about and that we're trying to lead the charge on is realizing that the ancient world is not just something that we need to put up on a pedestal and idolize, but it's, it's a tricky, difficult, problematic history. But understanding that, I think, can then relate intrinsically to a lot of the Alex, we, we've run out of time, but would you be interested in coming on the panel in a month's time and giving us uh, one aspect of Roman history? <laughs> Gladly, Walls, yeah, and I'll, I'll keep doing my TikTok research in the meantime and keep pulling my students to get to the bottom of this. No, this is, this is great. This is so interesting. I appreciate your time for now, though. That's Dr. Alex McCauley from uh, Auckland University, Fellow of the Royal Historical Society. 16 to 5, just an update here. We're quickly going to touch base with MedService as they have a weather warning for the South Island they'd like to get the word out on. So with me now is MedService meteorologist Andrew James. Andrew, kia ora. Kia ora, how's it going? Good. What are we looking at, Andrew? I mean, we're, we're looking at some snow on the way, actually. It's probably the last thing on Cantabrian's minds today. Mm. We're at Timaru's touching on 29 degrees, but cold air on the way in from the south, looking like to produce, to produce some heavy snow inland in Canterbury on Friday. Uh, and what areas most likely to be affected? So the Canterbury High Country, um, and even down to the plains as well, down to about as low as about 300 metres in northern parts of Otago and about 200 metres across Canterbury. So the High Country there, that means farmers in particular uh, would, would, would be wanting to prepare? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, given the time of year, the rural community um, with lambing and calving on the way and also just school holidays and transport at yeah. this time of year, um, yeah, it's going to be a pretty significant event. Okay, I, re- I really appreciate the update, Andrew. Kia ora. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, that is uh, Andrew James, uh, just a heavy snow warning for later in the week. Most significant falls on Friday. Snow at 400 metres, 10 to 20 centimetres uh, in depth. Here on the panel, uh, RNZ National, nice to have your company as always. Uh, we are with Scott Campbell and Anna Dean this afternoon and to this, and already a big response. Um, I'm a psychologist, so obviously my degrees have been very practical, but alongside my major in psych, I did a minor in social anthropology. I do not regret it one bit. I love uh, my degree. Wallace, Sam, the electrician here, I would highly recommend it to others. Interesting and varied work that takes you places. I now work on a ski field in Queenstown, maintaining chairlifts and snow guns. I'm Phil, semi-retired from being a tradie, maintenance fitter at 68. I still work three days a week. I once ventured into management, but but I missed the tools and the banter from the workshop. So a few years ago, I decided to leave management and pick up that hammer again. Wallace, I was a painter plasterer until 32, then I got a law degree. I worked as a customs broker until last summer and have returned to the trades at 47. 
It beats office life by miles. It's just a bit harder physically. So we've been run off our feet by some wonderful responses on um, tradespeople getting in touch. And that question I put out was, um, is there a preconception that doing a degree is better than going into a trade. And one economist, Craig Rennie, said that 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 perception has kind of held us back a bit. Or with us this afternoon is Andrew. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hi, how are you? Very well. So so what are you? Do you have a degree or a tradie? Well, I left school and did a trade in the clothing industry, and then that was in the mid-'80s when the clothing industry went south. I left left the industry and um, got a job in a government department. And whilst I was there, I um, started my degree and then took redundancy when that came up and finished my degree off, went to teacher's college and was uh, teaching for a few years, and then I saw an opportunity to start up my own business in the trades. Um, That's good. Yeah, working in the trades is great. Very, very awesome. And so what type of trades uh, do you do? Now oh, I'm, I'm basically into the roading game, so it's my own business. So it's sort of like small roading, um, or a, you know, a pothole basically. So I'm really run off my feet, busy. Yeah. But I think like I'm not poo-pooing having a, a degree because degrees, but I'm actually referring to like just a bachelor's degree. Yep. I do think that if you've just got a bachelor's degree in um, science or a simple um, uh, English literature or something like that, it's pretty much useless. Um, you you're better off to do a trade, like become an electrician and get ticketed because then you've got authority because then you can actually sign a piece of paper and say, yes, it's done correctly and get things signed off. And you might get a job in a government department shuffling paper, but no one's exactly going to say, I'll come around to my place on the weekend and uh, shuffle some paper and I'll pay you cash. Okay, look, Andrew. I'm not going to. I'm not going to lie. That's going to get the uh, uh, punters going on RNZ. Uh, that getting a bachelor's degree is a bit useless. So let's throw it open to the uh, uh, to the panel. Start with Scott. Yeah, I um, when I left school, I actually did pretty well at at, uh, at college. But then I went into uni, and I was there pretty much to get the thousand dollar course cost at the start of the year, and um, failed miserably. Um, but I went on to uh, build a business, own a business, mm. become an entrepreneur, um, and have now gone back to get my masters. And so I'm doing an MBA. I'm almost at the back oh. end of my MBA, mainly for the challenge, as opposed to I think. Um, trying to take it and, and get anything back from it at this stage. But, um, yeah, that for me is just the education uh, again. I'm glad I, I'm doing it now. I think if I had have tried to do right. it earlier, I wouldn't have – I would have failed miserably. Yeah. So – but I love the idea that actually if, if you want to go and do it, you can, but it's not essential. And I think well, I probably missed that message when I was younger. Yeah, that's interesting, Scott. Uh, stay there, Andrew. We'll come back to you. Anna Dean. Well, I'm really pleased to see how many tradies are listening to RNZ. I think that's fantastic. I thought everyone in the trades listened to commercial radio stations or talkback. Not on the um, panel, Anna. Not on the panel. They're they're with us. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, I have one of those useless uh, Bachelor of Arts um, and actually a a double degree. But... um, I really like how it helps me to be a critical thinker, and um, I think it's never too late to keep learning. Um, Now that I live in a rural environment, it's been really interesting actually coming into contact with um, 
far more tradies and fewer paper shufflers. And I mean, I think it's just all the rich tapestry of life. Um, <laughs> one of the things I really appreciate these days is just the amount of um, degree type courses that you can do online with um, right. platforms like Coursera and things like that. So I really encourage anyone who's willing to keep learning to to look up those platforms. Okay, it's so incredible. Andrew, finally, because uh, I, you know, I had some, I had fantastic parents who really encouraged education. You know, they weren't necessarily from, I guess, their educational backgrounds. So really wanted to focus on that university degree. Wasn't given, I guess, so much of a choice. But to that young person, to that 16, 17-year-old right now embarking on her or his career or university, would you recommend getting into a trade? I 100% recommend getting into a trade, but then as Anna said, don't stop learning. You mm. keep learning books so that you can go into your own business and become a critical thinker. But at the end of the day, a lot of that critical thinking that she points out, it's only an opinion. It's not authoritative. It's not like being able to say, I've just signed off your gas fitting. That's good to go. You've got insurance. At the end of the day, critical thinking is really down to the person receiving that information as to whether they regard it or not. That's a good point, Anna. Your opinion is not ticketed. <laughs> But it can be well and be invoiced, though, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, we've got you. We've got you. It can be invoiced. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, but that's but but then then you've got your own. Well, it can be. So, well, can be invoiced. Well, it depends, really, doesn't it? it yeah. we, you, just, you know, I mean, she can say that, but then that's. <laughs> How much does she charge? Well, we'll find out for you, Andrew. And if we want to bring some critical discussion to your uh, table one day, uh, we'll see what the costs are, see what we can do. Okay. Well, thank you very much for bringing you back. It's been a pleasure. No, it's a pleasure, Andrew. Thanks. That's, thank you. That's uh, Andrew there, a tradie uh, with a degree, ticketed drain layer, Sparky. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate all the uh, tradies coming in. Wallace, I've got three degrees and a $120,000 student loan. And I earn $34 as a junior doctor. My builder charges $40 an hour for his labour, and he is $120 an hour. I'll be encouraging, as a junior doctor, my boys into a trade. Mm. Wow. Seven away from five, the panel, RNZ National, this jumped out at me, and I said, I've got to talk about this. Why? Because it's about mini golf. Tell me one person in this country... Who doesn't love mini golf? Who wouldn't jump at the chance to head down to a local mini golf course? Well, Small Gusta is a mini golf course with a difference. It's just opened up in Tauranga, uniquely designed to mimic a real golf course so it makes for a more authentic, competitive game. That means no backstops, no curbs, no novelty giant mushrooms. No way. It's owned by Dave and Renee Agnew. Dave, kia ora. Good to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me, Willis. Oh, I saw the pictures of small gas. I thought, I've got to get you on. What, what, what is it about mini golf, like Roman antiquities, that we all love? <laughs> it's probably a bit of a leveller. I think it's probably yeah. a leveller. I think the yeah. mini golf. Um, it's not not too daunting. Um, this uh, this mini golf um, slight difference. Um, it is a bit trickier. Uh, 
but everyone everyone sort of comes with that same enthusiasm, yeah. you know, um, of, of all abilities. We're lining up on our opening weekend, um, just been and and you know even the ones that were playing competitively, um, were loving it, and so were the the ones that had gotten round and unknown <laughs> shots. I, th- counting. I, I think you've nailed it actually, Dave. It is a leveller, isn't it? This nine-hole par 35 course. What about you, Anna? You, I mean, you, you've, you're from the home of mini golf, which is uh, which is Nelson. Really? The Me? home of mini golf? Well, there's one mini golf well, course there, which is a bit old, <laughs> a tired looking, but nonetheless, I loved it. Anna? Oh, no, no, no. So, um, we, um, to, be, to be honest, I've never actually enjoyed a game of mini golf before. Oh. Um, and that's what. This is what basically led me to um, to only sort of veer this this way. Um, I just it was always frustrated with um, the you know hitting the curb and okay. and, um, and and everything and and. So I just wanted that, that freedom to be able to putt. Well, Dave, that, that we've, got a, we've got a uh, panel with us, uh, and that freedom to putt, Anna. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. Not at all, yeah. sorry. Um, I mean, my, my, my impression of mini golf is, I mean, I've seen that one in Christchurch where they have those huge dinosaurs and, right. and things like that. That's what I thought it was all about, that kind of American style. But this one doesn't seem to be like that. This is serious, Emma. No, this, this no, serious. no, very different. No, so this is gimmick-free, um, this course. You won't find uh, many dinosaurs here. Except well, for well, I, did have, I do have my retired in-laws doing the, doing the garden. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, it might be a mini golf might be a big yawn to uh, to, to Anna, Dave, but not to Scott, surely. No, definitely not, Wallace. I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm uh, over in Martyr, so I'll be coming over oh. to see you at some point, Dave. Um, and uh, yeah, but I, I have a dilemma because I've got a 11 year old uh, in particular and about to turn 10 year old, and they hate losing. And so every time I play mini golf, I have to lose. And how I guess. It's hard for me to lose at a normal golf course, but on this one, am I am I good for it? Is it is it tricky as you make it out to sound at the moment, Dave? Am I going to be able to lose it easily? Tricky. It is tricky first time round. Um, so obviously, it's a it's a new style of mini golf, and also it, um, uh, there's a lot of undulations, and it's and it's quite quick. So the first time you go around, for example, the first time I did it, I was I was off the side uh, from hitting it, under hitting it, and everything. Um, but once you get used to that speed and and how hard you have to hit the ball, because our, our fairways are quite a bit longer, uh, you do get used to it, and then you find it is fair. So, for example, uh, the greens, most of the greens are quite even and flat um, and in straight putts, but you do have um, very very sort of you can sort of see a lot of the undulations around the greens. Um, so it's all it's it's basically first time is tricky, second time is less tricky, and then you start getting into um, Getting into oh. you know, and to understanding the course, um, and by the end of by the end of the sort of round, you've 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 sort of got the hang of it quite well, and and sort of stroking it nicely. Love it, Dave. So, on the, on that note, on the mini golf note, uh, we'll leave it there. That's Dave Agnew there, small gust in Tauranga. Uh, Scott Campbell, Anadine Kiaratia both. It's been just fantastic today. Thank you. Uh, I'm Wallace Chapman. See you tomorrow when the horns hit. That's three forty-five. Lisa Owen and Checkpoint is next.